Hi and welcome to Get With The Programme. I'm Holly and this is the podcast where we talk to the people who make TV about the programmes that they've loved making and watching. There's no Campbell this time uh, because we're combining a special news flash with my chat with Chris Lindsay which I did back at the start of last year. Uh, If you're listening to this and the day it comes out and you're applying for one of our two talent schemes, the network and ones to watch and you're panicking that the deadline is this Friday, fear not. We've extended the deadline until Monday the 30th of April at 10am. So you've got three extra days over the weekend to get that application done and sent off. For help and advice about applying for either of the schemes, just head to tvtalentschemes.co.uk and you'll find all the information you need plus links for the application forms. In the meantime, for a bit of application inspiration, here's my chat with wonderful writer Chris Lindsay, who I spoke to last year about um, becoming a writer, uh, his inspirations, the different programmes that he's enjoyed working on, uh, and lots of other things besides. So enjoy, and if you're putting together an application for the network or ones to watch, good luck. That's the crackling. Yeah. Uh, so you, of that. If you hear a tinkling sound, it's just, just enjoying a shot glass full of Smarties. Uh, the classic way to start any healthy day. Um, so, Chris, I just wanted to get started on um, what was the programme that made you want to work on TV? Yeah, I think um, I was raised by the television, really, and there was never a time when watching TV wasn't my major way of learning about the world and engaging yeah. the world so it, it was never that I kind of put on one day and went wow this is this is this is drama I must do that it was mm-hmm. always part of how I saw the world and when it, I came to thinking about wanting to say something I always understood it in the context of I must make a television program I must write a story about that and, yeah. and put it on air but in terms of the some of the big landmark things that did sort of really shifted my thinking or really sort of grabbed me. Um, there's an 80s drama the BBC did called Edge of Darkness, which is kind of on the surface, it's a hard-boiled thriller thing, but really becomes something much bigger. It's a sort of quasi-mystical spiritual journey this detective yeah. goes on and it's all about life and death and the end of the world and the, the environment and um, huge government conspiracies. And there was something so massive and all-encompassing about it and that it had the guts to kind of say that this policeman's journey it, it kind of blew it onto the biggest possible canvas and said it, 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 the stakes are the stakes of the world the stakes are everything we hold dear and it's astonishingly bleak and entirely inappropriate <laughs> for a child to be watching I mean it, gosh it, went, it? Well, it originally went in 1985 and I can't have seen it then because I would I would have been three years old I think they repeated it in the early 90s yeah. on BBC two St- I would probably have been seven or eight years old and Ooh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a it, it was a very I mean, have you seen it I and mean, people are dying of radiation sickness people are assassinating each other people are spewing their guts out and, and it's but uh, utterly <laughs> inappropriate and, and my parents should be chastised for it but the impact it had on me was just massive, and it—I it, mean, still to this day influences my writing. Still to this day influences what I'd love to do. You know, if I was given, given your own show and able to do what you want, then I'd want to run to those places of, yeah, of like of life and death and and everything in between, uh, being up for grabs. And so that was a huge thing on me. And then, year a couple of years later, um, there's a new game and drama called Neverwhere, mm. which was a fancy thing right now on the BBC, and I. There's a sort of dearth of that sort of stuff in the early 90s. You know, Doctor Who had been cancelled in the 80s, yeah. which is a 
hugely influential show on me, but I'd only, at the time, I'd only seen, I had very hazy memories of it because I was a child when it was cancelled. And we just didn't make stuff like that on British telly. And then all of a sudden, there was this fantasy show on BBC Two. Uh, I would run home from my swimming club um, on the evenings it was on, and because, you know, went out live, and you had to watch television live. And this, 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 again, the scope and the imagination and the passion. And it was one of these things where, like, the budget and in no way covered the ambition. But, you know, I think in all things with TV, isn't it, there's their ambition and there's what's achievable. And sometimes it's quite right to scale back ambition for what's achievable. But, you know, now and again, I'd much rather see something that fails visually and fail, you know, looks shabby around the edges. Yeah. But my goodness me, they put some heart and they put some passion into it. And, and everywhere is this thing. I think a lot of the people involved are slightly embarrassed of because it does look a bit tatty. But I was 14 years old and it, we didn't have television like that in this yeah. country. You know, we had the X-Files and s the Star Treks that were imported, but we weren't making British fantasy drama. Mm. And, and to see, again, the contemporary world, mm. let's get someone to edge of darkness, the contemporary world and contemporary concerns blown up with the stakes of science fiction fantasy to say this, this, is, this matters, this is, you know, the knock-ons of these people's small lives. Yeah. It, you know, impacts the world. Um, all of that got deep under my skin. So I mean, uh, if you're talking about two big things that that, that, that nudged me onwards, I'd, it would be Edge of Darkness and Neverwhere. But um, part of a rich tapestry <laughs> of viewing uh, throughout my life. Yeah. And were you the kind of child that was there, like writing little scripts no. and trying to put make your own things? Or was this not in the slightest. On? It's funny. I wasn't. It's funny. You talk to a lot of um, writers, and they're very bookish. And they were very readerly. And I, I wasn't. I just watched a lot. I mean, I watched a lot of television. Yeah. Um, and I in, in, in just ingested everything. But I think I think back to those years, and I, I speak to other writers, and I'm like, yes, I was writing plays for my sister, and yes, I was writing shorts. I wasn't doing any of that. But what I was doing, I was playing. Mm. And I was a play. You know, especially you hit that age, and you get your teens where it's not cool to play anymore, but everyone secretly mm. kind of still does with their figures and toys. I just kind of went really late in life doing that, i.e., with my Lego and with my, you know, GI Joe figures or whatever, right into my teens, I was telling quite long ga games that I played over weeks and months and years, even some of them, effectively telling a so I don't know, running my own soap opera, yeah, um, in my bedroom, and that was where I told story. That's where I worked out stuff. That's where I made up myths and you know legends yeah. and, and and told all those things. I mean, that said, I used to my brother was a big Enid Blyton fan, and so I did used to make up little mystery stories for him. And act them out, um, but I never wrote them down. It was I was never I was never a writer. Mm. I always just came up with them, did them in the, the moment, and the, uh, then and there for him and stuff. But I never, I never scripted it. I mean, I'm dyslexic, so that may be an element of why the yeah, physical act of writing yeah. it down. But then uh, you talk to any writer, the physical act of writing it down is the easiest bit. The slog. and the work is the working out how A connects to B, how this all fits together. You know the jigs of it. That's that's ninety percent of the work. The actual clack 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 yeah. hitting keys is that's the easy bit really. Um, so that was yeah. That's I guess where my stories came from. That kind of creative, active imagination I guess. <laughs> and do you still find now when you're kind of you know at home and you're writing Garrett, are you sort of doing like sort of almost narrating the story to yourself as you're writing it out, or is it sort of something more internal? I think it's. Well I, well, I think it's internal, but then my wife says, why are you talking to yourself? <laughs> um, and you're actually, I was like, 
talking to that or more like shouting to yourself do you <laughs> oh right so it's not internal at all it clearly feels internal to me um, I, yeah I go for I tend to not want to write it down physically until I know what I'm doing I'm not you know sometimes deadlines dictate that you've just got to start typing now but ideally I, I would rather go for walks I would rather keep notebooks I would rather pace around the flat and talk aloud and act it out and just run it over in my head again and again and again and if I can do that then coming to write it down is fairly straightforward and, and you never work out everything I mean that's it would be a total you know sort of it would be creating a sort of false impression to say you have the entire story every single line worked out in your head that's not the important bit it's the big sweep of who they are where they're going what's going to change in this scene you get that then 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 there's a discovery in writing because you come up with a funnier line or yeah. you come up with a cleverer way to end it or you come up with a you go actually the story's not about that it's about this and that happens in the in the physical act of typing it down but that's a joy once you know the big stuff and the big stuff I think for me anyway happens in my head so I don't like doing outlines and why I don't like doing pitch documents it's something you just have to do um, in this industry but it, it kind of almost for me anyway prematurely forces you to kind of commit to things that ideally you'd stew on and ideally you'd work and usually in the process anyway it all gets changed and ends up being completely different yeah. so if we could just skip that stage it'd be very <laughs> nice but um, sadly I can't convince anyone that that's a, anyone else that's a good idea but um, good um, so that leads us on quite nicely um, to the programme that you're most proud of working on so far in your career yeah it's a, it's a, it's a funny one writing because so much of what you do is behind the scenes and and for every episode you get on air or something you've probably worked on two or three other things that were either in development that got to various stages or you know were up for being commissioned and and you know are still in process or still haven't happened and stuff and so there's a couple of things that have been really thrilling this year that I'm kind of I've signed non-disclosure agreements about mm. so I kind of can't tell so can't, I, can, yeah, 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 I know it makes me sound uh, oh, and you know I mean as, as, as you know in this industry especially in the, in the, in the writing side of things you, every 10 or 12 projects you develop one will go somewhere and we'll yeah. see where they go but they're kind of a couple of really thrilling things at the moment but one in terms of when I worked on and we were talking before we started how do you choose they're all my babies you know I love them all and it's true every script of mine that's that's been produced and gone out there's a real love for it because you live with it and you live inside it and stuff but there was an episode I did of um, a Scottish drama called River City um, it was my first episode of that actually just really proud of it because we it was at the end of the series when um, a lot of the actors weren't available anymore and scheduling things meant that we didn't uh, the ground shifted on us a lot and that's that, that, that happens in these things and, and we didn't know till quite late in the day who which cast would have available what locations would have available what um what the scope of the story was going to be because it was meant to be a two-parter and um again because of these logistical things what was going to be my episode and what was going to be the next person's episode was in flux until very late in the day and it was just an amazing just one of those moments where you look at something and it's so so precarious and yet everyone rallied around and everyone came together and i think it's one of the best best things I've ever done and it's you know a lot of people may not have seen it it only goes out in Scotland it's um and yet the director just, just brought their A, B, C and D game to it I mean it, it's absolutely superb it looks beautiful script editor story department myself and myself actually I yeah, did quite a good yeah, job on that one I did no what I did and I felt like it was one of these ones where like in the process of doing it when you didn't know what we're doing we just all had to just all hands to the deck and actually in that moment 
what came out of me in terms of writing and about these characters and the character I really care about really flew and really took, took shape and um, I think ended up as something very, very strong and um, certainly one of the things I've had the best response to. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's very particularly dear, dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, River City Series 13, Episode 25 oh. is its catchy title. <laughs> it's because they don't have episode names. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, very fond of that indeed. Good. And for anyone that's sort of non-Scottish, how would you, how would you describe... Scottish? River City. How? Because it's not something I've ever. Yeah. Watched. Well. Um, I'm aware of it. You're missing out. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Scotland's continuing drama series. Um, so it's um, it's it is a soap opera in terms of shape and form, but it uh, they're in one hour instalments rather than half hour mm-hmm. instalments, um, which is quite unique. Um, you know, most one hour shows tend to have something with a story engine like a you know, casualties, hobbies, or medical. Um, machinery yeah. around the story to keep to get fill an hour out with most soap operas your EastEnders and your Emmerdales and Corrie's uh, half hour fits that River City's an interesting place of uh, being an hour but being a dom- mostly a domestic soap opera mm. but it has they, they very cleverly build little engines around that around businesses in the community or um, the time I was this was a couple of years back I was doing this when there was a strong police presence in the show and they went from being guest actor policemen that come in to arrest the regular characters to actually becoming regular characters and yeah moving part of the soap opera into the police station, which actually was terrifically interesting. It's the first crime drama I'd written, and it, especially because it was late in the run and we didn't have a lot of other people available to us, it gave us a really lovely shape and got to write a little, it's, a, it's like a little Scandi noir, a little Glaswegian noir. noir. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, River City's set in Glasgow. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah, we had a little sort of Glaswegian noir, like, it's like the killing, but, you know, <laughs> but, on a, but, you know as, as a soap opera. And... Um, yeah, so that's that show, and hopefully it will go one day out across the whole UK network, because I think it should, because the people there do a very good job yeah. and uh, work very hard to kind of produce something good and should be seen by more people. Yeah, good. Um, is it, how, how long has it been on for? It's quite a long Oh, time, um, 2002, I think. Yeah. Um, it was created by a writer called Stephen Greenhorn, who's um, a terrifically good guy and a well-respected writer. He did that in the early 2000s, and then it... it has run run until now and it has been a half hour format for a while and then one hour format currently and um, now I was involved I'm not currently working on the show it's just a thing I enjoy doing but um, I was there 2013, 14, 15 yeah with them and um, what was the programme that you wish you worked on I wish I worked on yeah. this. Is great. I feel like, well, you know this industry, Holly. It's like trying to get your next job. I feel like I'm insulting loads of people when I'm like, uh, or um, like, uh, but no, in all truthfulness, there's, 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 um, there's programs. There's programs you watch and you like, isn't there? And then there's programs you watch and you wish, oh, I wish, I wish, yeah. I'd ca- I'd come up with that, or or I, I had worked on that. I mean, I am a died in the wool Doctor Who fan and would give my teeth to be involved with that um, yeah. show or any of its um, assorted spin-off material. <laughs> um, I mean, no, but that was, like I was saying earlier, that was a show that I had very fond memories of as a child but hadn't been able to get into because I just cancelled it when I was too young to really remember yeah. it. But it's something I sought out and discovered in the wilderness years, they call it, when it wasn't on and um, fell quite deeply in love with it. And I see became a writer around the time it came back sort of triumphantly and they were really good in that because they pushed the writers front and centre um, in terms of how they promoted it and in terms of how they gave you a behind the scenes look and it was a phenomenally 
a useful way to get your head around how to write. They put a lot of scripts into the public domain. Yeah. Um, the Russell Davis, who was the executive producer, wrote a book about how he wrote it. Yeah, I read put that, that book. It's very good. Oh, oh, it's amazing. Um, I mean, there's a lovely quote by Stephen Moffat on the <laughs> on, on the jacket that says, "If you still want to be a reader, uh, sorry, if you still want to be a writer after reading this book, uh, you will be because it's <laughs> it's inc- it's incredibly sort of honest and bold about how difficult it is." But I read it and. At the time, I was trying to become a writer, and it just inside me just went, "That's what I want to do." And so, to work on that show would be, you know, would would be a, um, a dream come true yeah. and um, a hugely exciting thing. And um, yeah, so that's a, a program I would very much like to be involved in. If you're yeah. listening, Chris Chibnall, <laughs> please, please. Um, but I mean, lots of terrific things on, on and exciting dramas at the moment. So I mean, yeah. it's a good time to be around and and working. Yeah. Uh, really good um, and what's the program that you're loving watching at the moment it's funny because um, there's so much telly these days isn't there and there's so much drama these days and I funny I'm realizing we're watching an awful lot of stuff and I sort of step back and went how much of it's really good because mm-hmm. we're officially in this golden age which slightly narks me because I grew up watching our friends in the north and as I said Edge of Darkness and Jim McGovern's Cracker and you go, sorry, we're in the golden age now. Um, it, it's funny how the kind of me- media circles outside television, you know, uh, chattering classes are sort of calling our, our, our current era a golden age. And there's some amazing stuff, but there's a lot of drama coming out. You're going, it's, it's hitting some things for me and not hitting other things for me. And then the show I'm going to talk about came on and I was like, oh no, but that I love. I don't just think this is clever. I don't just think this is expensive. I love this and I love what it's doing and it was um, I, want, I feel I should choose something really obscure and indie that no one will see but <laughs> sound cool um, like choosing your favourite band but it's Stranger Things oh, um, yeah. which is just because it's big you know it's one of these prestige dramas it's expensive it's all that sort of stuff that so many of the other ones have and yet I wasn't just watching it to get through the box set to say I'd watched it I found myself desperate to know what happened next desperate to see where it went because I think it was done with such it wasn't calculated. It was done with real heart. I mean, it's, it's a precision-honed machine. Like it's, a, it's a thing of beauty to watch as a writer. It's so well put together and, and streamlined and focused. But it's not... It doesn't feel like it's doing that to impress you. It felt like it was doing that to be true to its story world. Mm. And it was, a little, it was a light bulb moment for me because going and watching all these big-name shows to say I've seen them, and they're all quite good. Yeah. But they're not, and, they're, and honestly, I'm not knocking, I'm not naming them, for one thing, but I'm not <laughs> knocking them. Um, but the idea that suddenly this era is somehow miles and miles ahead of previous eras, very, very kind of, you know, I used to have friends that were like, oh, I don't watch television. I don't, I don't, mm. I don't look at it. I don't watch it. I don't, you know, I'm not into that sort of thing. I'm a bit snooty about it. And then obviously the box set era comes along. Have you seen The Wire? Have you seen, have you seen Breaking Bad? I mean, the great shows, but he's not knocking them. They're wonderful. But it's like television didn't get good. Mm. five years ago drama didn't get good five years ago it's always gosh I've gone on a bit of a rant here haven't I um, it's good, I like there's always, but there's always been been that and I think in somewhere in the current box set culture there's a lot of shows that are just quite good quite good yeah. and that's great I mean goodness me making television is really hard making anything that's even passable <laughs> is a huge achievement but to make something quite good is great but in terms of something it actually made me go no this has got heart and soul and um, passion through it like a stick of rock yeah. Um, it was Stranger Things and I just came away with a smile on my face every time. Um, so 
back is something I'm loving at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, it has finished, but it will come back. It's back. It's yeah, back. yeah, yeah. Um, um, do you think that it's helped that you obviously grew up sort of consuming a lot of culture in the 80s? Yes. And that sort of fed in and potentially made it more... It's funny because it's slightly before my era. So it's the kind of... I was... Um, those films that it's referencing, I saw on video in the yeah. 90s. So I would see, would have seen Stand By Me, I would have seen E.T., I would have seen, um, you know, all, all that kind of Spielberg movie. Like, I, I grew up on, like, I was too young for Star Wars, I was too young for Indiana Jones, really. I discovered them all in the 90s. So I have yeah. a sort of, maybe it's slightly at an arm's length from it, but I think it's not, this, it's really the nostalgia's not the hook for me on that one at mm-hmm. all. It is, it is the characters i mean it's, it's pre-digital i think that's the hook for me it's it's uh, okay. it's it's the pre-digital world the world where you had to radio your friends yeah. you know, or phone them you know the, the world where you didn't get your information online where your world was small and maybe i think i'm right on the border between oh gosh this is going to sound really pretentious but between sort of generation x and the millennial i'm right on the border there age-wise and I do think it kind of has to the last generation that, whose lives were genuinely small, mm. whose lives were your, your hometown, whose lives were your... Yeah. And maybe that is part of the draw of Stranger Things, is, is it's a heart back to go slightly deeper into that territory yeah. of... Um, yeah, when your world was those four friends and your world was those four people you, you knew and yeah. the local sinister plant is taking over the world or whatever. You know, yeah. it's... Um, I think that's the draw for me with, with, with it, but I don't think it's, that's not enough, because I think there's, I was saying, there's a lot of good high-concept stuff out there that doesn't grab your heart and soul, and I think it was, going back to the things I love, my Neverwhere and Edge of Darkness, it was, the, it was the supernatural, the sci-fi being used to blow the stakes up for a lost child, to be, yeah. you know, for a lost friendship, for a, gosh, there's a thing about, it's all about nostalgia, isn't it, that show, so yes, it literally lost people in your life yeah. um, being the heart of that so I think yeah that, that's, that's why that grabbed me um, yeah. it's a very very rambling answer oh no it's good dear listeners um, <laughs> it's what we're here for yeah. the meat it's, it's, yeah, stranger it's things meat um, and are you someone that will kind of find something on Netflix and watch it all all in one go or do you try and I used to be. I used. It's funny. I used to be. I went through. I think in the beginning of sort of box set culture, I yeah, we were devouring. I mean, I, I was mentioning the wire. I adore the wire. I think it's one of the clever, heartfelt, smart pieces of television. And yes, yeah, the sort of thing with fifty hours were devoured in fifty days yeah. or something like that. Really, not so much anymore. Maybe we've got a young. We've got a young baby, so um, that's impacted our time a little bit. We can watch <laughs> and also working in television. I, you know, I need to keep on top of. I can't just wa- wa- watch one box set mm. religiously. I need to be, you know, there's the shows I'm trying to get onto, the shows I've got friends on, there's shows, new shows coming out that I want to see. And so we've usually got three or four um, series on the go. Um, I do like to finish things. So I do, you know, if, if something annoys me after episode one, I'm not coming back. But if I've watched episode two or three or something, yeah. I am then into into the end. But these days it might take a lot longer. I mean, yeah. Box it binging on CBeebies, however, <laughs> um, I watch an awful lot of Sarah and Duck and, uh, and Twirly Woos, which are actually both marvellous and uh, really great bits of television. But the, when the, mostly to keep the baby happy, but I do notice when she falls asleep, I am uh, just popping on another Sarah and Duck just for Daft and then another Sarah and Duck. So maybe that's nonsense. I am binge watching. I'm just binge watching children's cartoons, um, but charming, smart children's cartoons. Yeah. So uh, um, and do you feel like there are going to be certain like children's TV series you're going to be kind of 
pushing her towards oh, when she gets older. Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we have watched a fair bit of Doctor Who together, me and the baby, and um, children's TV, yeah, there'll be certain classics I'll, 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 I'll want her to see and I'll want her to be, to be brought up on. Um, I always loved things that were before my time when I was a kid. I loved stuff from the... Um, I used to love watching black and white films and black and white... Um, old TV shows, yeah. even, you know, even as a teenager when you really weren't in the 90s, we're not supposed to be interested in black and white television or whatever, I used to love all that, so I mean, I, I hopefully we'll instill that sort of thing in her, but um, I just need to make sure it's actually stuff that is suitable for children, because I was watching things like Edge House of Cards, the original British House of Cards, <laughs> that's the thing that drives me nuts, everyone goes on about the new House of Cards, I'm like, but the original was, you know, again, it's this golden age of television, we did yeah. that show 20, 30 odd years ago, and um, and it was great. But I watched that as a kid as well. Again, not appropriate, um, in in the slightest, and probably concerning actually if I think about it. But I don't know that immersion in quality drama, young. You know, I think as a slightly conscientious parent, you know, I'm not going to let her watch things like that. But I I, I don't mind her at watching grown up TV, as long as it's not going to scar or whatever. But yeah. that teaches her about the world because it's funny. Uh, just I guess my kind of my kind of old bugbear about the whole kind of suddenly being in the golden age of television is the idea it got good now. Uh, it's that literary culture that says you know reading is worth your while, um, m- classical music is worth your while, television being somehow a junk medium or whatever. Yeah. And I and I I really re- resent that and I resent that on a class issue because I think um, that the only to educate, inform and entertain actually really matters to people and you know and folks that don't have access to maybe, you know, huge amounts of books as kids who didn't have a huge amount, you know, couldn't go to ballet lessons or whatever. You know, the television is this amazing democratising thing that was in my life. And I was I was a kid from a poor background I- I- at school and I got my education from the television. And I remember in a few, there's a few classes at school, I was not allowed to answer questions in anymore because I knew it all already. Because I'd watched Horizon, because I'd watched... People's century because yeah. I, you know, I, I was the person that knew that the Crucible was about the McCarthy witch hunt trials, yeah. and I was, wasn't allowed to answer questions. And it was because of the television. It was because I watched telly. And then you go to university and you hit this culture where like, oh, we don't watch television, or we just read, which is like that. And then yeah. suddenly now everyone's like, oh, have you started watching all this <laughs> stuff? You know, I, I, I'm making V signs, dear listener, um, here because that made me who I was, and that educated me, and that gave me the language and the tools to navigate the world. And Gosh, I really have gone on a rant here, but what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it, it really matters to me. Yes, and so my child, I want her to understand the value of television, the wonder of television, and you know, that's why I don't work in this, because I needed a job. I don't work in this because it was easy, because bloody heck, there were easier things to do than try and be a TV drama writer, yeah. as, as you know, yeah. Ollie. Um, I'm doing it because I love it, and because this medium matters, and I want, yeah, I want my little one to understand that. And she might not like it. She might want to do something else, yeah. but I at least want her to have the opportunity to see the see the value of that. That's yeah. in any way an answer. That's a great answer, no, it's well, good. Good. Um, cool. So to completely take things off in a different direction. Did you collect anything as a child? Did I collect anything as a child? I kind of wish I collected things as a child. <laughs> I never had the I never had the well probably didn't have the resources to do anything any sort of fine you know, to finish things off. And I didn't have um, I'm just not quite OCD enough and not quite so attentive enough to need to have the complete set of anything. But I polished glass, that was my thing, oh. at the beach. You know when you go to the beach yeah. and you get bottles and they've been yeah. sanded down by, by, the, by the waves over, over time? I had a big bag of, of sanded glass and um, 
And yeah, I, I used to like collecting. I mean, I just love Lego, but I wasn't. I didn't collect Lego. I didn't yeah. want. I didn't want it to stay on my shelf in a pristine thing. I wanted more bricks to yeah. build to build another space station or another castle. You know, it was just me making stuff up. So I didn't. It wasn't like I had the full set of pirate Lego yeah. or anything like that. I just wanted. Just if anyone got me Lego for anything, I was delighted. Um, <laughs> And what was what was the biggest Lego thing that you ever made? Because I was terror. I would make like part of a wall, and then I'd get bored, and I'd go away. Oh, you're talking to someone who went very, very far in the other direction. <laughs> that. I was actually. It's funny, and it's actually really weird. It's come full circle because they're just um, you know the Lego computer games are big now. Yeah. And I was uh, saying I didn't. There wasn't much TV fantasy or sci-fi on. There was one show that I loved as a kid, which was Red Dwarf, which was oh, yeah. again just massive in the early '90s. And you know, it was obviously it was all meant to be an adult growing up comedy but everyone at school watched it it was the coolest thing at school everyone watched it and I built a, a, um, a Lego spaceship based on Red Dwarf no, oh, wow. copyright, no copyright infringement if anyone's listening <laughs> it was simply based inspired by uh, fair usage as a child doing that but I built one it was probably a metre long by half a metre wide um, spaceship with like a cr- but like it wasn't just like when kids build a spaceship with a, a cockpit it had a cockpit it had a kitchen <laughs> I had a garden I had bedrooms I had bunks I had bathrooms I had engine rooms and I built it, and I kept it as a piece for probably three years. And I told my little ongoing space saga that, oh. I, that I that I made. And so they've just funny. They're just when the Lego computer games included a Red Dwarf Lego level. Oh really? And it was this weird sort of moment for me, going like, "Oh my goodness, somebody else thought of it yeah. like that and, and made it that way." And that, that when that happened recently, that made me really happy because um, I say I, I it was huge and intri- and it wasn't it wasn't enough of it. To have, it had like working airlocks. Didn't just have a door. You had to have an airlock system that worked, so you know, um, I had all that built onto it. And every time I got more Lego, I pretty much just broke down whatever I was given. Yeah. Oh, train set, that's great. Broke it down, add it to this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the largest Lego thing I ever built. Yeah. And uh, I think only when I left home did it get did it get broken up. Oh, that's um, a sad time. It is. The end of childhood. I'm pretty sure I could rec- reconstruct it from memory. I'm pretty sure I could. I, I probably could. <laughs> Very, yeah. Did you? Um, I'm never out of work. That's what, I'll, that's what I'll be doing. What are you doing at the moment, Chris? I'm playing with Lego. Um, um, did you did you play the Red Dwarf level on the Lego game? Well, no, because I don't have the computer game. Yeah. Um, that I, I, I don't have. Um, I, I mean, I, I should do. I'm a gamer. I love it. I just haven't got into purchasing that Lego computer game. So having a baby, it, it, I, it really, it really does. It really does suck your, your time out of things. But um, I will do. But I yeah. um, just knowing it exists. Yeah. A, It'll be interesting. A, a smile to my face. Interesting to compare. Yeah. Your version with the, with the Lego. Yeah, sort of the official. Yeah. Um, did you watch the sort of new? They they rebooted. They have done. Red yes, yes, bit, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Did um, you watch any of that? Oh, did I watch? Did I go to the premiere at the Edinburgh oh, um, yeah. Television Festival? Yes, I did. <laughs> and um, I sat near the front and cheered. No, it's been a delight to watch. And um, do you know, um, I delight to watch that show. Find its voice again and find, um, you know. The, it's a massive brand, and it could have, in, in, and perhaps wasn't always cherished by the people who who were broadcasting it. Yeah. And to see it find a home and find that love, and yes, it's obviously done on a digital channel and probably done on a much tighter budget and scale. Mm. But to see those stories be told again, and and to be telling sci-fi stories that could only be told now um, on that show, I think is wonderful. Yeah. And it's been a proper delight to see, and I've actually gone quite hard into the into the fandom <laughs> world. I seem to find myself on forums every night and stuff. It's. Uh, <laughs> When I'm not feeding a baby, um, or, or finishing your script, dear producers, um, <laughs> then yeah, I seem to have really embraced that again. Yeah. Um, 
and are there any sort of upcoming sites? Because I know like Handmaid's Tale is out quite soon, yes. and the new American Gods is out oh, quite yes, soon. Oh yes, yes, yes. So I'm a fan of books, so I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing that. Are there any other much. big sort of sci-fi things on the horizon that um, you're excited about? I, I, I am excited about. I, I like to be surprised by things. It's funny. I'm not. I, I spent a lot of years and a lot of internet geeky culture is always about watching the trailer for this, reading spoilers for this, yeah. looking ahead to that, and I started realising that it was spoiling my enjoyment of things, often because the best parts of something were in the trailer, or you watch a trailer for something and you, I'm sure everyone does, but a writer, you instantly create a version of that film in your head, that therefore doesn't, no matter how good it is, doesn't match up when yeah. you see it, and so I'm almost, I, I try, like I used to, I used to be the kind of person that sat on Doctor Who fan forums and watched them filming, and every time the fans got pictures stuff, and actually, I I don't want to do that anymore. No. I want to be surprised by, it's terribly old-fashioned, but I want to be surprised by stories it's told to me, yeah. and I want to be, I'll let a storyteller meet me and surprise me. So, yes, I'm excited about these big things coming up, but I'm not looking into them, because I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to start the story at the start yeah. and have the writers and directors and actors take me on a journey again, that, yeah. which actually is how I, all the things I love with my whole heart, it's always these shows that were, were things that I watched when they were on. I didn't have a preconceived notion of them, I didn't have that. So I'm trying to be quite hands-off with that. Yeah. And I'm much happier for it, and enjoying things much more for it. You know, I managed it with the new Star Wars films. Yeah. Everything else went nuts with the trailers, and I just was like, I'm not gonna watch them, because when I was 10, 12 years old, and I first saw Return of the Jedi, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I just, and I want that experience again, and I think we devalued, I think part of our culture does devalue that experience. We want spoilers now, we want, all that stuff up yeah. front and so even you know I don't try not to watch next time trailers for things now because yeah. um, I know that they're important and they hook people and it's great but I'm going to watch anyway so you know yeah. I don't need to do that as well leave it purely yeah pu pure. pure a pure experience yeah I uh, guess there. And, and are you not then someone that's sort of following like the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook groups for oh, stuff mm, not really no not yeah. really no um, I I, I my, my, my online, I, I follow people I know, so I, I follow mostly producers and writers, yeah. because a, that's how work comes, is from knowing people and sharing your passion with them, and so, you know, I, I don't think that's, that sounds like sort of cold-hearted and networky, it's not, it's like, well, I want to know the people in my industry and what they're doing, and if I love what they're doing, I'm probably going to tell them I yeah. loved it, and if, you know, we, we spoke a rapport for that, and that leads to work, and that's happened in the past, that, that's all really good. But I don't, not the show particularly, not yeah. the films particularly, not the, I don't need to see that stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, behind the scenes stuff I think is fascinating after I've seen something. Yeah. Um, give me, give me all that, but yeah. I don't want to see it ahead of time. Um, but obviously it's people do, and it's a good that they make. Yeah. It's all their friends at work making these things, <laughs> it's great, but I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, the, I'm not the audience for that sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. And um, last question from me. But not least. What's your signature dish? My signature dish? You mean that I'd make? Yeah. Or that I, oh yeah. gosh. I am, <laughs> signature dishes, I have three dishes oh. that I basically <laughs> just return to all the time. And um, dear listener, they're all from a packet um, or from a jar um, that I've heated up um, using electricity in a, in a pot. Um, and they call it cooking. Um, I, I cook. Some people do it for the love of it. I do it because um, my body will waste away and die <laughs> if, if I don't consume things. Um, I, I, I'll tell you what, these are these little, sorry. I made my first ever pancakes yesterday. I'm 34 years old, <laughs> listener, and I made my first ever pancakes yesterday. Um, well, partly um, 
in, in our house, my, my wife and I are a modern family, and we have a fair division of labour and all sorts of things, but she, I like, I like doing house cleaning, so I do that. She likes cooking, so, you know, find, find your passion and do it, <laughs> don't you? But um, we're having the baby, I've taken on a lot more of the cooking stuff at the moment, and I, well, I, I pretend I don't enjoy it, and actually I have got quite into, into <laughs> I did make a sweet chilli sauce from scratch the other night, which was quite... Uh, Little achievement. Yeah, yeah. I am doing myself down. My crop monsieur is not is not is is not too shabby when it when it happens. And uh, yeah, I made pancakes for the first time yesterday. Good flipping action. Oh, beautiful flipping action. (laughs) Um, Didn't didn't burn any of them. They were consumed by by all. The baby had her first pancakes yesterday, and she um, scoffed them. So I think I am. I think the thing with me is, if I discover I can make something. That's all I want to do. I've done that. <laughs> so I was making pancakes this morning, and I'm going to make some tomorrow until everybody else is sick to death of them. Because um, I would live on the same. If it was up to me, I'd cook the same two meals, and because yeah. headspace. And in all seriousness, you live as a writer with the story, the script you're finishing, the script you're, you're halfway through, the script you're starting, the script you'd really like to do, the script you're convincing yeah. someone to do. That's kind of enough to have in your head, and. Yeah down relationships and friendships and pay your bills and all that sort of stuff and so I'm not really looking for (laughs) anything else so if I can simplify any other part of life down to I know how to make that curry or I know how to make that chicken dish then yeah then frankly I'm happy um bores bores everybody else to tears Uh, (laughs) and and I need to be nudged to do other things but um that's yeah for me I'm like well if I don't need to think about something all to the good yeah all to the good on that note, we'll end, we'll end the podcast. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks very much, Chris. That's all right. Thank you. Pleasure.